Now, given the fact that today, when the world pays attention to the war between Russia and Ukraine, but meanwhile, it's crucial we also look at another two countries. One is Armenia, and that one is Azerbaijan. Now, what about this ongoing political struggles and also this international conflict between the two countries? And how about the significant partnership in terms of India? And we are going to get to all the questions today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite Dr. Malikin. Now, Dr. Malikin is a policy analyst and a political advisor with a considerable personal, a personal, academic, and professional experience in foreign and security policies, as well as domestic politics. Dr. Melikin, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, sir, the pleasure is all mine. Now, I know your time is very precious. Now, let's get to the questions. As we mentioned before, <coughs> that the whole world is still paying attention to the war in, Russia, in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine at this moment. But meanwhile, why is it so significant also for people to understand the political and also this economic struggles between Armenia and Azerbaijan? Can you help us to understand? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the question and for, thank you for the interest uh, to the region that sometimes can be a region which is uh, somehow um, uh, overshadowed by more, more important issues like the war in Ukraine. And you're right completely that people are paying more attention to that war, but all wars matter. And mm. unfortunately, in the 21st century, we still see the, the, how the use of force is still one of the uh, favorite or preferred methods and means of, in the international system. And it's very unfortunate to see that uh, even after two big wars that the many nations were involved in, we still have conflicts uh, which uh, and, and nations are trying to resolve their conflicts by armed means uh, but this is the international uh, relation of the system and and, and and we have this and this the anarchic world is still there and unfortunately the cooperation is not the main stimulating um, uh, condition for many many nations so people are struggling but in this case and the case of Russia Ukraine and Armenia and Azerbaijan, we are dealing with the, with the, 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 the so-called the, the collapse of the Soviet Union, the breakup of the Soviet Union, which um, happened almost 30 years ago. And unfortunately, until now, we are seeing how this process of, of collapse is uh, still an ongoing process, unfortunately. Uh, we all hoped in 1991, I was uh, young, I was a student, when the, this um, process started in 88, basically the end of the Soviet Union, which happened in 1991, we all hope that everything is over mm. and that uh, the communist regime and the, the, the red dragon, as uh, some people, or the, the excess of evil, as some people in the United States were calling the Soviet Union, rightly, by the way, uh, was done. It was finished. No, but, uh, but we see that we still are struggling with the legacy of the Soviet Union, which was the false federalism, which means that countries, nations living in the Soviet Union, like in Yugoslavia, uh, the breakup was, was quite painful, mm. was not a happy divorce. And uh, nations uh, have and still have um, 
some uh, expectations from uh, the former Soviet Union legacy because all of them or, or some of them still want to take more that they can from each other. And it, and, and it brings to uh, more conflict rather than cooperation, although all these countries like Russia, Ukraine, Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and, and Central Asian countries or Baltic states, they all have been in the same uh, economic and political area and they had sort of uh, uh, modus vivendi, like how to live together. But rightly, we can say that everything, when it is done by the force, has no long, long history. You cannot expect that nations which have been incorporated falsely into one Soviet Union could also be in very good relations afterwards. So what is happening in Russia is the, is the the process of the still the ongoing process of the collapse of the Soviet Union, where Russia still wants to keep its influence over all republics that it used to have during the Soviet period. Mm. So, and also uh, all those nations living inside of different other republics, uh, it is called federalist, like you know, like Armenians living in Azerbaijan. And when the collapse of the Soviet Union happened, Azerbaijan claimed that those territories belong to them because during the Soviet time, well, yes, they have control over them. But of course, we have here, we are dealing here with the human rights and security issues because starting from 88, 89, Azerbaijan just clearly started a military offensive, an mm. attack over all those uh, regions uh, populated by the Armenian, Armenians minority. And Armenians started to de defend themselves, of course. And yes, we, 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 we had a uh, military success in, in at that time. But then Azerbaijan uh, uh, tried to wait and uh, use it, its money, its oil money, to get more weapons and still be back to uh, Middle Ages, that you can just kill people and you can just torture, torture them, as we see in, in Ukraine, like the Russian army uh, killing and devastating cities and, and villages just because they think it's the right way of doing things. So basically, if we compare these two, the common trend, uh, the common uh, context is that the, this, all these republics are from the Soviet Union, and they still struggle for, I mean, I'm talking here from the perspective of Armenia, mm. and Armenians who are victims of Azerbaijani uh, aggressive politics, and Ukrainians who are victims of Russian aggressive politics, because they think if they have money, if they had weapons, if they have uh, sort of, you know, allies like for Turkey, it's uh, it's Turkey uh, for, for Azerbaijan, it's Turkey and Pakistan, and uh, for uh, Russia, well, they have they don't really have a lot of allies, but they have a lot of money and they have a lot of weapons, so they can just use it. So the problem here that we have is not to allow, and it, it concerns the the, the United Nations, basically not to allow again to have the use of force as something uh, available for politicians, for decision leaders uh, to solve problems. Mm. Here we have problems for all of all other countries we, who, which can see that if it's allowed to Russia, why it should be not, shouldn't be allowed for others like Azerbaijan or, or many other countries. So we should not allow the use of force to become again a norm in, in, in solving problems in, in our system of international relations. Dr. Malikin, you know, it's interesting that when we look at the war today in Ukraine, on one hand, people are very sympathetic 
towards the people in Ukraine. Not only we've seen and also we've heard this devastation among the citizens and also in terms that in terms of understanding how the war completely changed the way that people understand the word humanity. But on the other hand, it's rather dangerous for some countries to build partnership or even, even to be, I want to be careful, you know, to be this economic relationship with Putin or with Russia. So, for example, Belarus and also, as you mentioned before, any other countries. So help us to understand, doctor, why at this moment some of the countries are still interested in supporting the motives or the actions behind Russia, even though the whole international community, or should I say the majority of the members among the community are against such alliance or against such ruthless behavior. And how about the reaction from Azerbaijan and also Armenia? How should we balance that? Well, it's a very complicated question. And I don't know if, if uh, people uh, like analysts and uh, and even politicians or decision makers in many countries have a common understanding of why, for example, in Hungary, uh, Hungary, or uh, for example, in Italy, or even in Germany, you can find maybe now it's less than before, but you can still find those who try to understand Russia, try to see what is the motivation behind that or even blame ukrainians for not doing this or that thing mm. uh, it's quite a complicated uh, situation and uh we it's very difficult because maybe they have the uh, i think there are two or three explanations for that first of all is economic problem that these countries can face even armenia for example which do doesn't really support Russia in this situation, mm. but it has fears because it's it's economically dependent on that country. So economic dependence, which was promoted starting from, uh, you know, the beginning of 20th century is one of the nice and important tools for reducing, minimizing the, the tension between countries by using cooperation to reduce conflict. Uh, it is still there, and uh, unfortunately, uh, but unfortunately, not it's not always um, gives nations under influence or who, or who which are dependent on other countries economically. Uh, basically, they, they become client states rather than just having cooperation. So, those who consider themselves as client of Russia, for example, they have fears because this. Uh, affects the economies, they affect the the, 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 the way uh, like societies uh, can uh, react because people you know in Europe are not happy what is going on. Mm. So the second thing uh, is the some personal connection with Russia and also maybe some uh, politicians are corrupted and they have uh, financial interest in, in having Russia or Russia is interested in having them and paying them for promoting for lobbying russia's interests and the third is because also you know some people in uh, in even in europe even in america they still have marxist approaches so the, some of them are marxist or they are socialist you know so they don't really think in capitalist way or, or in liberal terms of understanding things so this maybe all these things all these factors are, com are combined 
ha- uh, make in a way that Russia has some supporters. But I think it's, it's becoming lesser. It means less and less people are are supporting Russia because Russia, I think, in my opinion, is crossing all red lines, mm-hmm. and we, which is not good in general, as I, as I already mentioned, for the system. We, you know, we uh, the system is becoming, again, unpredictable like it was uh, before the First World War, before the Second World War, and during Cold War time. And we, we thought that uh, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, everything is over, and we will have more cooperation and the liberal democracy will will win mm. but uh, we see that again uh, countries uh, think more in in realist perspectives uh, meaning that they try to maximize their power they try to maximize their influence by any mean even if it's if it goes through killings or through devastations uh, when it comes to Armenia and Azerbaijan it still is complicated because Azerbaijan is becoming stronger economically and militarily Armenia, who, by the way, is an ally of Russia, which is not my choice, unfortunately, but in the 90s, based on the situation at that time, Armenian decision makers, uh, politicians decided to ally with Russia. But it is mostly uh, in international relations, we don't call it alliance formation, but mostly a bandwagoning. When you are, when you have fears from a country, and instead of going against that country, in order to balance with that country, mm. you ally with that country rather than allying against someone. We ally with someone. You bandwagon with someone, and because you you are afraid to be absorbed by a bigger country. Uh, but things are changing, and my hope is that Armenia will find and Azerbaijan too will find more common sense and not to use force again. Although we see that in Armenia now, uh, on the border is not is not that that calm. I mean. Uh, we, to be honest, uh, even every day we are, we are, uh, uh, we have fears that Azerbaijan will attack Armenia. Mm. Now, Dr. Melikan, let's move on to the question. Let's talk about the role of the United States of America. Again, when it comes to foreign policy, most of the time people are looking up to uh, the, the leaders and also looking up to uh, the senior advisors from the, uh, from the U.S. side. But so far, one report after another that I'm in confidence to say that the attitude or the reaction from the U.S. side has not been very positive or promising in terms of the struggle between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Now, from your perspective, again, you are the expert and you study foreign policies and foreign relations for years. Help us to understand why on this matter the U.S. It's being silent. So in other words, this is not really the typical strategy for foreign policy analysis to come from the U.S. government. So in other words, what can we expect from the American side in terms of smoothing out or at least offering some tangible solutions between Armenia and Azerbaijan? What's your take on that? I think we are exaggerating a little bit of the role of U.S. in foreign issues. Mm. Although, yes, we always saw that Americans have been very active in many parts of the world. But I don't see how many success stories they had before and how they can see the resolution of conflicts in this part of the world, which is called the South Caucasus. Well, Americans have been involved in a format which was 
cold and still it's it is existent it's called the, the osc misc group mm. osc is an european american organization of security and uh, we see that they are um they have been active during almost 25 years but now it's uh the problem with americans is that oh not a problem but the, the situation in Romania is that uh, you still have the russian influence the mm. russians are, are here so when Americans want to do something, they have to take into consideration the Russian presence. Uh, they already have Ukraine, and it's 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 quite a bit, bit difficult de- problem for them. You know that the, the political elite of, of the United States was somehow divided what to do with Ukraine, help or not to help. Uh, could they help before the war started or? Were they trying to uh, leave Ukraine to deal with the, its own problems, so they could intervene before? So it was a complicated thing among among the establishment of the United States. So here, uh, when we talk about uh, any uh, impact that a country can have, including the United States, is to look at what kind of leverage they have on mm. this or that country. It can be political, economic, or whatever, because the po- big politics is about deals. You make a deal with uh, a country. So what United States can offer to Azerbaijan or Armenia as, for example, an alternative? Well, Armenia can ask for peace and can ask Americans to stop Azerbaijani aggression. But mm. can really Arme- Americans do that? Mm. Maybe they want to do so, but do they have the capacity and the the, 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 the tools to have an influence over Azerbaijani uh, decision-making? You can see that, for example, the neighboring Turkey, which is an ally of the United States, mm. which uh, is part of the NATO, uh, it's still, I mean, these two countries, United States and uh, the Turkey, face many, many issues. And Americans uh, simply putting in this way, they don't really, they cannot have any leverage. I mean, they, they cannot dictate Turkish government, the personal Erdogan, to do this or that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is, uh, sometimes people think that Americans are so powerful, they are powerful. Uh, this is one of the, uh, the, the only empire you know the hegemon in the in the, in the entire human history which has so uh, so powerful military uh, army and uh, the, the economic potential and then all kind of other things but still even for the united states uh, it was very difficult it is still difficult to prevent for example you uh, turkey from buying uh, anti-missile system from russia or from intervening in, 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 in Syria, or from having problem with, with uh, Greece, or having problem in, in Cyprus, you know, or in Libya, or in other places. So uh, we, can, we should not exaggerate the United States role. Although I am, I am a proponent, I, am a, I would like to have Americans here in my region to have more influence economically. They couldn't, for example, prevent Georgia in 2008 from Russian attacks, mm. although Georgia was completely, let's say, people were saying that there are two Georgia, uh, Georgia in America, which is the state of America and the country of Georgia, which basically are part of the uh, United States. I mean, they, they, it was a joke, but still, I mean, it right. was considered like 
Georgia, two Georgias for Americans, but they couldn't do anything. And uh, even even the country, I mean, they they say, okay, maybe we should understand Putin why they did so. We have to maybe Georgians did something wrong. You know, a lot of people in America were saying the same thing for Ukrainians. You know, it's that, that Ukraine. Look at Mayor Scheimer, one of the pillars of the American foreign policy thinkers and uh, you know global global thinker and uh, political analyst political scientist Merschheimer was uh, basically uh, blaming Ukraine because he was saying that big powers have to dictate not but not small powers so no small powers have to follow big powers main, meaning that Ukrainians should adopt themselves to to Russian politics mm. so again you know uh, this region is so far from United States and they don't have a clear foreign policy on Armenia or Azerbaijan. But that they now they are more involved because they see that the Russians are becoming weaker and maybe it's an opportunity for them. Uh, for example, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, was here a couple of months ago. Or the, 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 the boss, the, 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 the director of CIA was here. And uh, many, many now we have a lot of uh, military people coming to Armenia. Well. Uh, this is a good sign, but we have to capitalize on that. It's just uh, just visits. It's it's not enough, you know, to to change the foreign policy of America. Dr. Melikin, I know you are very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, before asking the next question, I have to say, I 100% agree with you because actions speak louder than words. It's not just about paying the lip service to the country that who is suffering greatly because the war, because this unfair treatment from other bigger powers, but we really need to see more changes. Now, let's talk about the role of India. You know, I want to read something to you, and this directly came from an article. It says, and I quote, Armenia is increasingly turning to India for its defense needs, and recently the government placed orders for an indigenously developed missile system and artillery guns. Now, Dr. Malikan, help us to understand, when we look at this struggle, again, this war between Armenia and Azerbaijan, what is the role that India play, and why is, is it essential for the government of Armenia reach out to New Delhi asking for better missile defense system and also artillery guns? What is the message behind that? Well, I will be short in order to allow you to ask more questions maybe on that. Uh, India is an option to diversify Armenia's uh, security options. Uh, somehow maybe not bothering Russia because India and Russia have good relations. Mm. If, for example, Armenia tries to buy weapons from France or from the United States, it can create and it will create problems for Armenia. Armenia is a Russia's ally, strategic ally. Uh, and not also a strategic ally in military, but also in economy, in politics, in everything, basically. That's why uh, Armenia's complete uh, defend dependence on Russia uh, was leaving Armenia without alternatives. And the Armenian government before uh, was trying to hide themselves be be uh, uh, behind this strategy and not to use their brains to diversify and to find other allies, other uh, other partners. So India is becoming sort of neutral partner between Russia and Europe and many others. And also it seems that prices are not that high for Armenia. 
Uh, and Armenia yeah, will try, because the Russians are involved in the war, they have all, the, Armenians are the first and biggest supplier of arms is Russia. So mm. Russia has big problems with supplying arms even for it, its own uh, needs. And it seems that the Russians are very, because they are very busy with Ukraine, so Armenia is trying to find a new new option in the in the in the name in the in in, in india and it seemed that it worked because with india we have kind of you know not bad relations and also india maybe i don't know i'm not sure but because indians have problem with pakistan mm. and pakistan was involved uh in a war somehow and was supporting all the time azerbaijan by the way all those who don't know uh, pakistan is the only state in the world which doesn't recognize Armenia as a state. Mm. Uh, well, there is also Saudi Arabia, but it's a completely different story. But we have two countries, uh, Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, which don't recognize Armenia as a state because they support, they, they used to support Azerbaijan, now uh, Saudi it's less, but Pakistan uh, more and more. So maybe Indians also, they offered themselves themselves uh, as a partner and Armenian government uh, considered this as an opportunity uh, as uh, something that would be less painful if for example Armenia would would, would war with NATO countries mm. India is not a NATO country uh, when it comes to what exactly India will supply this is a question to more military uh, military experts to what extent these things will be sufficient to stop Azerbaijani aggression. But mm. this is what Armenia really need, needs. I mean, more weapons. Although, again, a couple of even months ago, uh, the Armenian government was more uh, prone to find peaceful solution to the conflict. But now they see, and we all see, that Azerbaijan is not ready to that. So Armenia, unfortunately, again and again, goes to arm itself. Mm. Which, you know, again, I was saying that we are going back to the Cold War logic and mentality when you buy more and more weapons and a day it becomes a problem with all of them because you have to use dead weapons or you just escalate by buying weapons because you, the, the, the other side, your, your enemy, your adversary, uh, your rival country sees that you are arming yourself. So it sees as a, as a sign that they have to attack. Mm. It's very complicated. You know, sir, not too long ago, I'm sure that you you also realized that the G20 summit took place in Indonesia. And again, it involved some of the major or significant political and also economic players. And of course, India, you know, uh, was there too. So to just follow your thought by helping Armenia or by supporting or offering the uh, uh, this generosity or even from this military side or from this economic perspective to Armenia, how much do you think that actually elevate the image of India to this global stage? Because we know, as you mentioned before, everyone is holding different attitudes towards Russia. And of course, towards the U.S., Russia today seems to a major problem, you know, not only politically, but also economically. But if India steps in, becomes the uh, the cheerleader or becomes the supporter for Armenia, how much do you think that actually benefit India in the long run? And also, how about this India-Armenia relationship? How much do you think that could influence for the bigger picture? 
Well, always military cooperation is one of the most important cooperations for any partnership. When when you have military cooperation, it means that uh, your interests somehow coincide. Uh, and uh, for India, from the perspective of India, I, I'm not really an Indian expert. It's very difficult for me, but I think that uh, for India, it, it is important to sell its weapons mm. because the market is full of me any other weapons like Chinese weapon or others. So, for example, Turkey uh, got a lot of uh, orders when it, it used its 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 uh, drones in Armenia Azerbaijan war, and then. They got a lot of orders from Ukraine and many other countries because, well, people saw that Turkish Bayraktars are somehow effective. Mm. You know, this is how it works. So, for India, maybe uh, they don't really have a lot of markets for their own weapons because they are they are buying a lot of weapons from abroad mm. themselves. They are buying a lot of weapons for their own needs. But now it's a possibility for them to uh, show to the world that they are also uh, uh, exporters of weapons, not just importers. Mm. Um, I think in, in, in this, uh, and also it's money, why not? And also they will see how it is used in, in the real military games, not just uh, in theory. Mm. Well, uh, for, for of course, it's, it's for, for for India and for Armenia. It's mutually beneficial to have this cooperation. Mm. But we will see to what extent. And also, the the issue is that we don't know when exactly those arms will those uh, that India will supply these arms because mm. it will take time. Mm. Dr. Malikin, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to one of the another important uh, uh, topics. I know you're the expert. Um, according to your bio, something that it's crucial for us to understand or also for us to talk about is what we call democratization of post-Soviet countries. You know, when we, again, going back to the question I asked you before, it's rather difficult to understand or figure out the grand plan behind Vladimir Putin, you know, either with his takeover politically or his invasion to Ukraine. But right now, at this moment, help us to understand what is the concept or how important it is for us to understand the concept of democracy that when we look at those post-Soviet countries. So in other words, are we going to see Putin is going to bring the countries back to the Soviet period or is time for him to wake up and to realize in the year of 2022 and this is just not one of the tangible or feasible political solutions for the whole world. What do you think? Well, uh, the the common sense tells us that he should stop and he should not go to war because it's uh, making not only Ukrainians are suffering, but also his own nation is suffering. Mm. I mean, you you know there are hundreds of thousand people killed from the Russian side and it's still is ongoing process they don't stop so this is a very this question is very difficult and maybe we should ask this to Putin if we have this chance why he's behaving in this let's say maybe irrational way mm. but now I will not go to really analyze his motives and his uh, understanding of the world because it will be very very extremely difficult and it's quite diff completely different topic but we can what we know clearly is you, uh, Russia is not a democratic state mm. and uh, yes um, if they if not the Ukrainian uh, 
crisis and the war although people say that it was go it is going it at least was planned i'm not sure at all that these things like they didn't plan to go into war for nine months and it's still ongoing uh if not the war in ukraine or if not the war in this way if it finished like as the russians were predicting or trial or, or they're planning to take over kiev to take over all cities and to make uh, ukraine and zelensky the president of ukraine to surrender immediately and then to talk to poland saying that they should remove their nato bases and nato uh weapons uh, from poland and also talking to the united states uh, and uh, forcing them to withdraw their 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 military capacity from many other countries surrounding russia this was the basically the plan of putin to make ukraine surrender and to put the russian flag there and to talk from the from the position of the of the powerful of the power uh but they they failed they failed for many reasons but yes if they didn't if everything was going as planned the the plan for for, for putin was to revive the soviet union maybe not in the same way as it was before maybe not under the communist ideology maybe not with the red flag uh but still having a, a complete control over those countries deciding for themselves uh, what to do and uh, what uh, what countries uh, work with like uh, you know this concerns belarus this concerns ukraine mm. armenia azerbaijan and georgia and uh, to some extent also uh, central asian countries even central asian countries like kazakhstan i just came i i'm just back from kazakhstan a couple of days ago i was uh, observer during the presidential elections I cannot tell the source, but people there, uh, they was they were afraid that they would have some uh, concerns over Russia's um, Russia's uh, aggressive stance toward Kazakhstan, mm. because some people in Russia think that Kazakhstan is an artificial country, as Ukraine, and that uh, many many territories now belong to Russia. They think in that way, mm. and because Russians are living in Kazakhstan. Uh, the same situation was in Ukraine, and the pretext for invading the country was a sort of, you know, human rights are not defended, the human rights of those minorities are not defended, so let's attack a country because Russians in Ukraine are, uh, are always, uh, basically they don't have rights there, so let's attack mm -hmm. a country. So the same concerns, especially in the context of the Ukrainian war, have Kazakhstani, mm -hmm. you know, uh, experts and politicians. So why Russia is behaving in this way is complete, uh, complete, uh, you know, uh, let's say mystery. <laughs> because every country should think in more positive terms. Mm -hmm. Well, all countries tr try to have some control, some to keep its influence in the United States or or many other countries. But the methods used are strange, mm. and they are not appropriate for the 21st century. That's right, and I think it's it's crucial for us to continue to pay attention to the war and also continue to pray for the people in Ukraine, in Armenia, and also help the world to understand that it might sound cliche, but the saying always works that conflict or war 
will never be the solution to any problems. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am talking to Dr. Malikin. And Dr. Malikin, it's a policy analyst and a political advisor with considerable personnel, academic and professional experience in foreign and security policies and domestic politics. I strongly encourage everyone to go on social media to connect with Dr. Malikin and especially regarding to Armenia-Russia relations and also Armenia-Turkish relations or etc. Anything that relevant to the international community. Again, sir, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to follow the progress in Russia and also across the world. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much. It was my big pleasure to, to be with your, your guest.